Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. The Half of It. Written and directed by Alice Wu. 2020. When studious but cash-poor Ellie Chu agrees to write a love letter for goofball Paul to the most popular girl in school, an unlikely friendship unfolds that keeps Ellie from admitting that she's fallen for the beautiful Aster, too. Whether you're new to Crow Talk or a seasoned listener, you're joining us during a singular time in 21st century history. As you're critically aware, coronavirus has rerouted normal life, tipping everything expected on its head. This podcast is no exception. Instead of recording Season 3 episodes from our studio at Western Washington University, we will be podcasting from our couches and remote workstations. We will use headphones with tiny microphones as dogs bark outside and our partners quietly bring us tea. Just as the quality of our production must shift, so has the dynamic of film viewing. So, welcome to our Season 3 series, Streaming in the Time of COVID, where we will reflect on the experience of viewing, share yays and nays, squawk our opinions, and consider takeaways. Things we want to remember moving forward about this film, or film in general. Roll call. Cassidy. Stacy. Rochelle. <laughs> so let's talk yays and nays. What is a reason for people to see this Netflix original Alice Wu film? I would say a reason to see the half of it would be the authentic portrayal of Love's Many Fans. I would say it's a really fun throwback to a high school film with all of the familiar tropes, but done in a new way. Like It felt new, but old at the same time. A clear yay. Yeah, my yay definitely piggybacks off of that idea uh, because I too found some really juicy, uh, nostalgic throwbacks um, or reminiscence in this film. But I was really excited to get to see uh, an American teen story that I really hadn't seen before. You know, a Chinese American uh, individual uh, and the representation, I think, is is definitely my, my yay. Uh, meeting such a fun teen drama. Romantic comedy. Comedy. Dramedy. Drama romance. <laughs> All right, so Nace. My nay is that I felt it was somewhat trapped by its genre, particularly the token side characters. I did not need them, and they took away from the film for me a little bit. The main characters were so great. They were plenty. Nay. We didn't need any more. So token side characters. My nay was that I felt like I didn't get to know the main character as much as I wanted to. Like Ellie. Yeah, I don't know. I felt like a lot of the main characters were sort of surface. The information we were given about them felt a little bit surface. Like we never fully, I won't say any spoilers right now. But yeah, I just felt like I wanted more (laughs) out of, especially, yeah, Ellie and her dad and Paul. And really, if teen angst and teen drama isn't your thing, this probably isn't your film. So no, that would be my all. nay. It's my nay yeah. for sure. Um, it has a specific audience in mind. Like, were you a middle school girl circa 1997, 98, like <laughs> late 90s? That's what I wonder what, like, what the demographic, target demographic is for this film uh, from the filmmaker's perspective. That's always, right. that's always a different. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Young, young, young. Yeah, it's not us. Like, 
I, I don't know. I saw the trailer, you know, how Netflix like plays the trailer for it. Like I never even got oh, right. through the trailer because I, before we, before mm-hmm. I realized we were going to podcast on it, I just ignored it entirely. So it was like, ah, I don't know, no energy for it. Who knows? But. I have just so many teen mainstays that I like to revisit and I'm fairly uh, picky when it comes to teen shows or or film uh yeah so i hadn't pegged it as a film i was particularly excited to see but i was excited to learn a little bit more uh, about alice Wu, the writer director i was also really happy that it was set in washington state which i know did either of you google the town that it was in yeah me too did you too stace where is it? It's I didn't fake, Google it. It's a fake town. It's a fake Square town. Hamish. Oh, because it sounds... Yeah, they nailed it. So Washington State. It is. They're like, they went to Snoqualmie. I know. And then they went to... Sammamish. Sammamish. And then still a, still a Guamish? Something like... Still a, that's a, that's a, a river, right? We're white people, listeners. We are <laughs> fucking white people trying to say stuff. Um, but yeah, I totally bought it. It's, oh, yeah. I don't know. There's this, there's this twilight. Oh my gosh. Yes. Long like happening. Torch. You know it what I mean? Like the torques. Yes. And so I, I was like, whoa, I'm feeling, I'm seeing now how twilight has inspired an aesthetic. Thank goodness. Because what's up Northwest Washington. I mean, it really is like Northwest Washington specifically. Yeah, it is. And that, that made me revisit. It made me revisit the Edge of Seventeen, which also is supposed to be set in. It is. We watched it recently, and usually, mm-hmm. if I feel like it was shot up here, I'll like look it up. You know, I'm like, where was right. this filmed? And I did. Not I should probably that one. check my facts. That's what I read, oh, and then I was like, what? Check. And then I watched it and didn't go back. Fact checking. Um, but there are some really great teen. Like the first one that I can think of would be Say Anything. That's set in Bellevue, even though. It was like barely oh, filled there. Oh, is that the one with um, John Cusack? Yeah, I was doing a fish lip face there for you <laughs> listeners that can't see me. Fish lip face. So if you ever um, need to communicate, John Cusack. Just... Ten things I hate about you. Hello. Yeah, Hello. I hate about you. Like some of the best. That one's the so best good. Teen flicks are set here, which is. I mean, really, that's probably just Hollywood embracing the location with the rise of films, or at least there was a big rise of films being filmed in Vancouver. And so that just was a necessity. But yeah, I felt the twilight on we is what I'm calling it in this film, like hard. Well, they say the key to greatness is Wenatchee. (laughs) I loved the Wenatchee elements in there. Every time they said Wenatchee, I was like, I know where that is because I live in Washington. You guys are trying to sell this. Well, but that, sound hard. that's what was hard a little bit for me when I was looking at the Washington state map and I'm trying to figure out what city this is supposed to be, you know, mirroring because it has nothing to do with wine. There's nothing related yeah. to wine in this film. And so I'm like, it can't be anywhere near Wenatchee, definitely not in Chelan County. And even the neighboring counties, they're like, come to our tasting room. It's like, everything's wine. So I'm like, this really lit. This it's a west. over by Port Townsend. That's yeah, like a totally. Yeah, I felt like Olympic Peninsula. Yeah, totally. I feel that for too. sure. Definitely it was Twilight. Slope. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I believe Alice Wu wasn't, didn't she work for Microsoft and live in Seattle? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, so she was a, a, a tech queen. Uh, um, tech queen at Microsoft. Uh, yeah, computer software designer uh, cool. before she wrote her feature, her, her first film, uh, Saving Face, in 2004, which when it was released. But that screenplay won a CAPE Award, which I hadn't heard of, uh, but it's the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment. And then the film went on to premiere at Sundance in Toronto, where Sony Pictures then acquired it. But hmm. that was 15 years, you know, 15 plus years ago, uh, before the half of it came around. Indie film. Hmm. It's the long game. And I, I know that, you know, she draws from her own her own life for her her screenplays specifically though in the half of it we get a lot of um ancient and literary inspiration pulls uh just even the name the idea that you know how the ancient greeks believed that we began as four-armed four-legged creatures that were split and then we were doomed to try and seek out our other half for the rest of our lives. And I I liked that. I liked that inspiration piece, uh, especially when applied to a teen (laughs) romance film. I just, because it's just, you know, so young and so, so angsty. Oh, so angsty and adorable. That's all high school is. Just a Greek tragedy. It is. You're just like, I wish I was cool. Well, and a lot of parallels have been drawn between Cyrano de Bergerac, the 19th century Rostand play uh, about the man with the big nose who believes he's too ugly to be loved. And mm. he and his friend fall in love with the same woman. And he thinks his nose is a deal breaker. So he agrees to help his friend. And I personally was a little bit offended because is lesbianism the big nose in this situation? Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, what the f- How is that similar? Also, is that Steve Martin movie about him being a fireman based off of that? play roxanne roxanne baby have you seen that that's the name of the woman that cyrano is in love with oh so it is okay so for those of you who haven't seen the play have you seen roxanne with steve (laughs) (laughs) so anyway i just just as i was perusing articles and maybe it was intentional it it probably was it just seems like a very loose interpretation or inspiration uh with you know lesbianism as a schnoz yeah, that doesn't sit well with me at all. Like she just kept talking about feeling different all the time, you know, like, so maybe that's what they're trying to like, get at is how she like continually is like, I don't fit in here. More of yeah, more of the emotional yeah. parallel. But the literal. That's so different to be like genetically <laughs> mutated in a way, you know what I mean? Or just like a like a high school kid trying to blend in and like feel as though you're, which I guess I can't really speak to because I'm like a cis white woman, that's cool so. that's a really cool point you just made because you know this film deals a lot with perceptions of faith and the idea of genetic yeah. mutation and how faith um different faith groups have really come out and said as much about homosexuality uh and so that actually cast that works that that makes sense it kind of takes it from that mildly offensive to like heightened like this has been such a problem people have been so cruel about this 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I was irritated with some of the side characters, particularly Aster's boyfriend, Trig, because her having a father who is a pastor is already the conflict in the, in what I think should have been more of the focal point as far as her own understanding of herself and questioning her own sexuality versus just being at the whim of this boyfriend who's maybe going to marry her. I don't know. It did a whole disservice to, it did. to Aster's character. And there was already so much there that was rich with this like small community that all kind of goes to church. Like that's plenty to further explore. So I'm bummed that they, I think they could have gone a little farther and I understand that it's a teen movie. And But still, like I felt like you didn't get to know the main characters, you know, like what was up with the dad? He was such a like key player in her life. He was such a key pa- player in Mr. Chu. Mr. Chu. Yeah. And even Aster, like they just didn't, I don't know. I feel like the side characters added to just not being able to dig deeper into the main characters or because of those side characters. Oh, I don't know. It, it just, mm-hmm. yeah, the side characters, I totally agree. Stace took away from the main characters where they could have been like digging into who the main characters were a little bit more, perhaps. Some critics were saying that about Mrs. Gesselchap, the the teacher, how she is like this iconic character actor and she's in four scenes in this film. uh, And what was her point? And I know we could all tease out reasons. You know, I personally really identified with Aster uh, just because I'm a pastor's daughter and because (laughs) the whole foundation of that relationship with Trig was a difference between others choosing for her and her choosing for herself. Um, and it sounds very different, but in her, in her world, it could have been very similar. Like she she still had to make the choice, but ultimately if she chose to marry him, she was having someone else choose for her. Uh, the whole idea of, is this the broadest stroke that you can make? Uh, which Ellie asks her in the confrontational scene in the church. So that really worked for me. Uh, but that said, you know, we could, we could tease out why they did what they did. Ultimately, we never quite got enough of any, every like, character, of every character, not yeah. any, yes, the side characters, but as well, of course, the main characters, Ellie and Paul, though, wow, did they have chemistry? Like their friendship worked for me. Can we say it again? Friendship. I did oh, love that. They were obviously the best part of the film. I I realized it was turning that way. It was, I guess it was halfway through, maybe a little less, when I started to understand where this was going and how their friendship, Paul and Ellie's friendship was developing. And I just, I like locked in. Like that was the moment where I just completely locked in and I was like, I see you, Alice. I see what you are doing here. That's where it became so delightful how she upset that trope of the genre. She really did that well. She really upset the tropes. Yeah. And she had so many tropes that she did that with, which was super refreshing. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. even though the characters did feel a bit shallow. She did a great job with that, which kept me entertained the entire way through. Like I was never bored or like, this is so trite or anything, you know, it was just like, man, I wish I knew more about each mm-hmm. of these people because they're awesome. Like I'm so into them. I want more. I mean, and maybe it's, it's just the, the way the, the actors portrayed the characters. They were so, the side characters were so goofy and, and 
That seemed like a creative choice almost because of the absurdity, like the scarves, the matching scarf. And that also seems like a trope too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. mean girls. Mean girls yeah. or like a uh, jawbreaker even. Yeah, totally. And I think that the the three main characters were so dialed in. And like you said, Rochelle, their chemistry was so palpable and I was so engaged and they were so straight. So maybe that's why these other performances felt out of place like jarring because the main characters were so genuine and then those other characters were like cartoonish like heightened versions of these high school tropes I guess and like the only films I can think of that were around during our time like that were like not another teen movie or scary you know it was like parodies of these films so yeah it was weird to combine that sort of homage type of joke with genuine chemistry of the main characters and meaty like subject matter yeah you know it was it said a lot about all the different ways we love each other and what different love looks like and misunderstanding what love looks like it was so complex so I think I was like so invested in that that those side characters yeah felt a little too big I also felt the undercurrent of how we love ourselves. And since we get to spend a lot more time with the main characters, I think that that came more to the forefront, especially in how they dove into how Wu dove into Ellie and Paul's home lives, their families. I really appreciated getting to see more of what's tugging on them, the different expectations that they have to live up to, you know, with Ellie navigating, you know, her, her mother no longer being alive and her father not advancing as he thought he would and not getting to take those steps to a promotion and just sort of stagnating. And then you have that same type of stagnation in Paul's family in that they don't want to change the recipe. And he's over here, you know, sausage taco and Sweet like sausage taco. <laughs> Which I want to try. Me too. And he just, that actor like breaks my heart. He's so cute. He, yeah, he really reels you in, especially considering he could so easily have been too annoying to deal with. It's true. Right. And maybe it was the balance of Ellie's character that made him so good, you know, and her like kind of always bringing him back down to reality and stuff, you know? And we, yeah, we did deal with extremes in these characters. And so potentially, like you were saying, that's why we had such a hard time with the inauthenticity of the side characters. But like you said, Ellie and Paul radically different with this letter uh, pulling them together. And I loved the concept of championing your friend with no ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, Ellie was getting paid to write these letters. And yeah, what her and Paul were doing wasn't cool. You know, you you shouldn't fake that kind of stuff. But she had been faking essays for years. And so it was just, you know, the next step. And yeah, so she's getting paid. But at the end of the day, their connection formed and their friendship grew. And and she just starts sending out letters to newspapers or or whatnot. That's the sweetest moment. It was so sweet. And he finds them and then he thinks he needs to fall in love with her because, you know, you fall a little bit in love with your friends when they do that stuff for you anyway. But in high school, you're like, who would be fun to make out with of my friends? Maybe you. Maybe you. (laughs) Maybe none of us felt that way in high school. Maybe we did. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so I it was I liked seeing that inverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I was really happy 
when there was no romance. I love that there was no romance. That gets kiboshed when he realizes that Ellie's gay and then he has to have his own identity crisis. She tells you at the beginning too. She's like, this isn't a love story, people. Well, the ending, you know, that like big movie moment where, you know, he's running after her and the train's pulling away. That's such an iconic movie romantic moment. And it's about friendship. And like growing as a young person too. I mean, it is a progressive film. Like it's a great film with great themes, like way healthier than you know, the ones that performed these same tropes for us when we were young, Mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of that toxicity has been Mm -hmm. lifted from a teen storyline, which is just so refreshing anyway. Like Mm -hmm. I I found myself being like, wow, (laughs) recognizing that there are multiple perceptions to what we constitute as corny, ridiculous moments like Ellie did in the film when they were watching it earlier and mm-hmm. that, that why someone would chase after someone on a train just it, it escaped her. Uh, she relegated it to being ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. you know, when it shifts, when they matter to you and you matter to them and it's powerful. And in this case, when it's friendship, a friendship that I don't know if she'd ever experienced before. I don't think he had either. It's just, I really appreciated seeing the the broadening of understanding that different circumstances, different perceptions can bring deeper meaning uh, to our lives if we allow it to, you know, pierce our thick skin. Mm-hmm. Totally. Before I realized, because I was, I was like, I've never heard of Squamamish. It just sounds like a hodgepodge name, but it's definitely Washington. Washington. I was thinking to myself when Ellie and Aster got to the like little secret lagoon. I was like, when are we road tripping to this hot spring? Where <laughs> is that? I've been to ones that are like room temperature hot in our area, but like, and it was where weird. did you go? Uh, it was off of Baker Lake. Oh, and it's like very small and there was all it was just me and my husband and then this like random old man (laughs) awesome stuff in like a jacuzzi like a little bigger than a jacuzzi size (laughs) hot spring in the middle of nowhere so was he naked no thank god (laughs) but yeah that's the only one i know of so go there everyone i sold it (laughs) that guy will be there to greet you so I think that the Solduck hot springs, which are on the Olympic Peninsula in the Ho Rainforest, get pretty hot. But I've not been there. But I think that that was supposed to be, I don't know, again, I got the Olympic Peninsula vibe so hard. And the, that's where the like famous Washington hot springs are. So I think that's where those were supposed to be. I was so excited to have that scene uh, with Esther and Ellie, uh, you know, because Esther talking about different levels of transparency and authenticity, Aster just strips down and gets in and is, is good to go. And is just like, I love this place. Like, this is where I come to think. And of course, Ellie gets in with all of her clothing on. She says, I am a Russian doll of clothing. It's just such a great line. And I appreciate them getting to have this time together, but even more so, I appreciated that moment when Aster's trying to wrestle the shirt from Ellie and then, she ends up wearing it. She ends yeah, up putting it on. Cool mm-hmm. I just, I don't know why that choice stuck out to me. It's almost like I'm meeting you where you are. An article I read said they didn't understand how the closer they got 
the more clothes they were wearing in a, in a, in a sense versus, you know, you often see the closer people get the less clothes they wear, whether that's emotional or whatever, sexual. But I liked it because it was more of like a meeting in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, what friendship is all about. And it doesn't serve to force any type of epiphany for, for either of them or, or to really change the game outside of having an opportunity to connect deeper with someone. And I just really liked how that just, it had no pomp, you know, there was no Mm -hmm. sense to it. It was just, it just reinforced the idea that they like understand each other, like on a, you know, on a level that didn't really require any effort on either party's end, you know, it's just like, yeah, we get each other. Obviously I'll put your shirt on right now. (laughs) That just seems like the right thing to do. That's beautiful. I love that. I mean, it also, from a rating standpoint makes it accessible too. you know, I was thinking of blue is the warmest color and it's so good, it's but it's beautiful. NC 17. Yeah. You know? And so this film like really can access some really young groups of women. And especially I was thinking of that with her shirt on, if she were if that scene, you know, it would have been a pretty like graphic scene. So it serves a, a, quite a few purposes. I love that, that takeaway of, meeting in the middle. I think that's really beautiful. And in high school too, you know, you make those like little connections that seem like they mean, you know, there's like a lot to it, even if you just like hung out in a car and talked for a couple hours or, you know, whatever you like feel that electric spark of life. Genetic energy. Yeah. Yeah. I came across a a really cool quote um, from a writer for Variety who said, Wu also invests time in Ellie's home life where her widowed father practices his English by watching classic movies. As those scenes demonstrate, there's a huge portion of the American adolescent experience that's been excluded from high school movies. One could see this as an identity politics issue, but from a film critic's point of view, it comes down to this. Personal stories are stronger stories. Representation does matter, and specifics are what make a movie memorable, as in original details like the invention of taco sausage or Ellie's delight at discovering Yakult in the coach's vending machine. And I just really appreciated that perspective. I read a lot of reviews uh, that kind of range all over for this film, uh, everyone's personal opinion, but I agree, and this is my, it's my, my yay that we have seen some American teen stories, but there are so many American teen stories that we have not seen that we don't see nearly enough. And so I really appreciated getting to go uh, into the Chu household uh, and learn more about Ellie and her father and her mother and the dreams that he held for himself and his daughter and for her life you know, at the end, when Paul is trying to figure out how he's going to handle everything he knows about Ellie, and he has to make that delivery to Mr. Chu. And and Mr. Chu says, have you ever loved someone so much you don't want anything about her to change? And I just, they're just, it's so multi-layered, more multi-layered than I think uh, a lot of teen movies have ended up being for me in, in that capacity by bringing in a father like Mr. Chu and all the dreams that he had assigned to this, to this town and to this job and to his family. Yeah. And just to add to that, Rochelle, I think, or at least in my opinion, the films that were formulative for us were very narrow 
in the perspective it was like here's a hot white chick here's a nerdy white chick that's going to become hot (laughs) am i missing anything (laughs) no and and there was like love and basketball (laughs) (laughs) right there was like two alternate i mean i'm sure there were more than that but like off the top of my head there there was like yeah love and basketball there was dion and clueless clueless was about rich white girls essentially like you know it's just so yeah it is really refreshing and exciting and very engaging to see different types of backgrounds and just like check ourselves and what kids actually have to deal with like a parent who can't operate in the world day to day so much necessarily because of language barriers you know which is super common these kind of stories need to just be told more and more I'm sick of even as a white girl, that is a tiny little box to fit in. Yeah, I think showing people with different interests in high school and yeah, that come from different backgrounds. It's just so important. That's like responsible storytelling, you know. I think that to all the boys I've loved before kind of opened the floodgates. Or was it was it Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah, probably Crazy think, Rich Asians. I think that was when I, it like... <sighs> True, it could be. I guess I'm thinking of to all the boys I loved before just because of the letters. And I think they are obsessed with the same yogurt drink. They are. Yeah, all the boys I love I love the yogurt drink made another Netflix cameo. Yeah. I guess I was just thinking like Crazy Rich Asians was so successful in American right. audiences, which I don't think was necessarily expected of that film. And, and I feel like that happened all the boys I loved before, uh, The Farewell. You know, it's been this mm-hmm. whole floodgate into, yeah, a different culture, which is so nice. And especially in America where we're a melting pot, it's nice to have more of an understanding of different backgrounds. Amer- what it means to be American. Yeah, it's, it's, it's essential. And it's been so lacking. The more that we can embrace the fact that there are so many more stories and the stories that we that than that we've had. Even in queer cinema, what I loved so much about this ending, since Aster and Ellie are not in a relationship and I don't see them ever being in one, not just because I'm, we're not sure what Aster, how Aster identifies or, or what journey Aster is going to go on personally, but that's not the point. The point is they found a uh, commonality with one another and there's, something really beautiful about them being able to just be raw with each other. And I loved that they kissed. I loved that, but it didn't mean that there would ever be a future for them. It's not this happily ever after story. It's happy to be who I am story. And I really, really appreciate that divergence as well. Uh, because, you know, like we, we have seen quite a few happily ever afters, uh, and, not always in queer cinema, you know, sometimes they get terrible endings, just like other films as well. But I liked getting to see just a very realist, um, especially uh, for a teen film, a realist. It's so important because then, you know, again, the films when we were young, you know, you're like, okay, I have to have the body of a 30 year old stripper. <laughs> and not really, but like the women were always like the hot, the popular girl was always very well endowed. <laughs> And I feel like, that you know, it's like do this and this and this and this to become this, you know, where this film's like show up as who you are and that's great and that's all you need. And there's already enough pressure in high school to fit in and like be cool and, you know, be cool, really. It's probably like the largest Mm -hmm. pressure of high school kids. So 
to share the message that like, Hey, you're cool doing whatever you do, like being in band and having the interests you have and you will find friends and people you connect with. It's just so cool. Like the night growing up with those nineties films where it was, it felt brutal. I talk about it a lot, I feel like, but I just think it was, it, yeah, it just made like the expectations of what you were supposed to be as still like a child, really hard, mm-hmm. like, crazy, unattainable stresses for you. I mean, I, can you imagine, I mean, maybe this was your experience, but I can't imagine going through high school and then having an experience that affirms who I am or helps me understand on a deeper level, like who I am. That was not high school for me. And whether that's because of X, Y, Z, my upbringing, how, what I've watched or media I've consumed, whatever. Um, I think that if kids can watch this and take that message of, of introspecting and being the one who validates yourself versus relying on some sort of relationship or external factor approval or something yeah yeah that is yeah that is rare and I can't think of another film that encourages that I feel like to all the boys I loved before did it in a way of like male sensitivity dear Simon is it dear Simon Love Simon. Or Love Simon. Oh my God, Love Simon, I think, did a good job too of just mm-hmm. showing like, hey, none of us feel like we fit in. Let's love each other, you know? So I feel like mm-hmm. it has changed. We're like, our coming of age films were like, hey, here's American Pie where all the guys want to fuck you and want yeah. you to make out topless with stripper boobs with another girl or like just sit in a living room full of high school kids and watch that film as a high school girl you know or just be in a relationship like the goal is to be in a relationship yeah it's like you know go drink at a party have sex you know which I think is a funny trope too of a high school film because obviously being cool and having sex are like top priorities of that (laughs) age group which is fine but yeah I just feel like uh, on a level the ones the films we grew up with were kind of toxic the messages that they were delivering were not healthy they definitely did not encourage me to make my boldest stroke in life no to measure up my decisions based on is this as bold as I can be it definitely that was not the message they encouraged me to like go to a tanning bed (laughs) yeah opposite I was like I will do what everyone is doing (laughs) yeah like go to did you go to a tanning bed yeah you were like, absolutely go to the tanning bed. And also Here I like, go to a tanning bed, the late nineties, early aughts around this time. So it was like weird shit was going on. Yeah. They encouraged me to overpluck my eyebrows. Yes. Take me yes. 15 years to get my eyebrows back. Yeah, Mine never will come back to your eyebrows. Just clean off. You go for a tan, oh you put a Playboy sticker. You're like 13 years old. You just put a Playboy yes, sticker, put a sticker. Like, at the nape of your vag and just like. <laughs> the nape of your <laughs> That's the best description. <laughs> it's just so absurd. Like that whole, and then you wear pants that are like also just at the nape of your vag. So you can like see those bunny ears. Like you're oh, yeah. disgusting, yeah. like tan bunny ears yeah. like poking out. And you're like, hey guys, I'm 14. I'm here for blowjob. Really, but I feel like it was pushing like explicit Oh yeah, sexual. Well, women were had like, like Britney Spears. I mean, in some ways, they were like we taking were charge of sexuality, right? They were I like, think it, I think for a certain age group, totally. 
you know, right. they were like, yes. But then, and I'm not talking so much like pop stars and like Christine Aguilera dirty. Like, yes, I think she was doing that. I'm talking more about like the narrative films that right. were happening, you know, but, she, but you're right. Like some of that's the fashion styling of the time was a bit stripper-esque. Films that focus on self-discovery, authenticity, identity, emerging friendships that seem so unlikely, but end up being life-changing, life-affirming, really, uh, definitely weren't, you know, the messages we received 10, 20 years ago, um, maybe not even five years ago. I feel like things have shifted so much, uh, even since just Me Too. Uh, We have a lot of different... uh, goals in mind, messages in mind. We have different role models and different uh, people standing up, speaking out. And I think that is my takeaway. Things as dire as they can be, you know, as far as like terrible role models and messages in 90s films, you know, we're not there anymore. I'm sure that those still exist and they're still making them. Yeah, thank goodness. Like there's room for change. We can grow. Uh, and we can change the message. Uh, and I am, I'm ready to continue seeking out film that, that is doing just that. I know we didn't necessarily plan to watch this film independently, uh, as part of our COVID series, it made a lot of sense to, to look at this Netflix original and dive in written, directed by, uh, woman who I hope will make another film much sooner than 15 years from now. But yeah, I just, I want to keep my eyes peeled uh, and be a little bit more uh, on it, you know, because I could have easily missed this film. And I think I would have been the lesser for that. Yeah, I think my takeaway is just loving in different ways to seek out more stories about that. I think it's healthy to show stories not ending in a love story and understanding that we're supported by our friends and loved ones around us. And that doesn't have to be a romance. I love what the film has to say about letting go of your preconceived notions of what's good for you or who is good for you and and how you never know what relationship is really going to change your life in a fundamental way. And I'm so thankful that this film is out there for young people to access. So I guess my takeaway is that I'm bummed I didn't get that as a young, young. (laughs) Because it's so wonderful and necessary and I think really will have such an incredible impact. Last thought, I, I found it cute and curious and intentional that when in the third act, Aster emerges from a store. Uh, the s- sign in front of her is the turning point. I found That's that so good. thoughtful and a little tongue in cheek. But as far as the message that this film offers, it, you know, it is contributing to the turning point in, in healthy narrative for film for, for yeah. our youngest audiences. So I like kids identifying. Have you seen the Fortune Feimster stand up on Netflix? No. You gotta watch it. Okay, she is like a beautiful lady from and like just her soul is like and she grew up in South Carolina and she's a lesbian lady nowadays. And yeah. nowadays okay. and like she doesn't swear at all or she doesn't like she self-deprecates maybe a little she like obviously lets on she likes junk food and stuff but she's just like so full of joy oh I love joy I just I love the idea of loving it up 
joying it up, smarting it up, kinding it up for kids. Kinding uh, it up. That's the biggest one for me is like be fucking kind to each other. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Be safe and stream on. Stream on. Stream on. <laughs> remove that. Remove that. We don't that have to good, That was a good one. Oh, I was doubling oh down God. on stream on. <laughs> you guys. Whew. Stream on. This has been a Quarantine Style Talking to Crows production. 